Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Well, we're going to be looking at something uh, pretty interesting today. We're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 6, which is the siege of Jericho and the destruction of Jericho. But we're going to be talking mainly about the patterns of fear in our life. The patterns of fear. I think the story of Jericho and Joshua 6 is less about destruction and violence and brutality as our culture tends to like to name it. It's, but it's more about what happens when we have the wrong patterns of fear in our life. And so we're going to talk about that. But let me start off with uh, talking a little bit about one of my favorite things to do, which is build Legos. You guys like to build Legos? I, I got into it pretty late in life. I was probably 25 when I discovered this. <laughs> discovered this, uh, this passion of mine. And I thought, well, it, it, you know, it's either build, make puzzles or build Legos. And Legos are, are much more fun, in my opinion. Especially, I, I, I fell into a bit of a niche. Oh, I'm such a nerd. I'm so... I feel I love Star Wars Legos in particular, and so if you if you ever come to my house, I have a we have a split level in the basement level where Amy can keep it nice and dark and gloomy. There's my Star Wars Legos, so you can come admire in my my work. Um, but the one thing I really appreciate about Legos, and one thing why it's kind of therapeutic for me, is that you can take you know you start with just a single brick, just a single piece, and you can morph it into something really different. You know, I, you'll, you'll see some of the things that you build or things that you come over and look at things that I've built. You know, they all started with just a single brick. And, and you start to recognize things like patterns. You start to, to do things where you start to see how it fits within the bigger picture of, of things. And, and so it's fun to be able to do that. It's fun to recognize patterns. It's fun to be able to start with something small and build it into something much greater and bigger. And uh, I think a lot of times when I think of fear, especially what we're going to talk about today, is, is fear often starts really small in our lives. It starts with kind of that small brick, like a Lego piece. And, and as we start to react to fear and we start to build behavioral patterns when it comes to how we react to fear, you start to develop patterns and habits and things in your life that become part of who you are and how you react to things. And, and you'll see, especially believers and followers of Christ, and how you react to fear, it, it changes something in you. It, it, it defines the, the steps you take, the words you speak, the things that you do based off of how you react to fear and how you have built behavioral patterns from that. And many times the difference in, in who we are and who we want to be becomes down, or comes down to our behavioral patterns when we are afraid. When we are afraid. So what does fear do to us? How does it change the patterns in our behavior as we grow and develop? And in Joshua 6, what we're going to read is really a continuation of Joshua chapter 2 and how behavioral patterns define us and the reactions and the choices that we make and which patterns lead to victory in life and which patterns lead to death and destruction. And so we're going to look at two patterns of fear in this story and how we can pull principles for our life into it. So instead of reading the the 27 verses of chapter 6 around the siege of Jericho, let me kind of paraphrase and then we'll dive into the first few verses here. But so Israel has crossed the Jordan. They come to the great city of Jericho. It's a fully walled walled city, which is, you know, ancient Near East during that time is a pretty big deal to have a, a huge walled city. And they completely surround it. You're thinking hundreds of thousands of men at this point, massive army around the city of Jericho. 
And God says, hey, you know, take your warriors and you're going to circle the city for six days behind blaring ram's horns and the Ark of the Covenant. And so they get up and they circle the city six times. Imagine the noise and the dirt and all of that experience if you're the people of Jericho. You think that was kind of a frightful sight? I would say so, right? So you have all of this happening around you. And on the day seven, they give a, a huge shout and the walls then do what? crumble down, and the, and the warriors of Israel go in and destroy the entire city. And most of us, as we read that story, you might think of the violence against Jericho, and we kind of think in our way of, just because of our cultural setting, a lot of times we have the sensitivity to this violent and brutal act that Israel takes on Jericho. But really, I think this story has been misinterpreted and, and misapplied. I think what the author is really trying to communicate here is more options of patterns of fear and how we react to the fear and how we react to God in our fear, most importantly. So if you have your Bibles, let's read Joshua chapter 6. I'm going to start um, in the first uh, couple verses there. You can tap or follow along there. It says, now Jericho was tightly shut. Say that, tightly shut. Because of the sons of Israel. So they were afraid. No one went out and no one came in. But the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have handed Jericho over to you with its king and its valiant warriors. And you shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. That's a lot of sevens. Think that's important? Probably, right? And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn and you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout and the walls of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, everyone straight ahead. So the first thing I want to point out is the mental and emotional place that Jericho's people must have been in at this time. And in Joshua chapter 6 is a connection to Joshua chapter 2. So Joshua chapter 2, if you remember, it is the story of Rahab. So Rahab is the the highlight of Joshua chapter 2, but there's some significant things that kind of point to Joshua 6, which the main link is the the act that the gates are shut. So in Joshua 2, it highlights that the gates were shut. Joshua 6 starts with the gates being shut. And so Chapters 3, 4, 5 are really this kind of tandem into what's going on with Israel. This story is really about Jericho. Okay, so as Rahab was a part of Jericho in chapter 2, we're going to read more about the emotional and mental place of Jericho in chapter 6. Okay, so this is important. Those two chapters correlate really well together. They're, we're meant to, literally, to, is, is to kind of connect these two stories into one. Okay, so we're reading a, a build-off of chapter 2 here. And Rahab, as the, the kind of the highlight of, of what it means to be someone who lives in Jericho, gives a good explanation as to the mental state of the people of Jericho. In uh, Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, she says this, The terror of you, this is the people of Israel and the Lord God of Israel, has fallen on us. So that they're afraid. And, and the context isn't they're afraid because the, they're circling the city. The context they're afraid is because they've seen what the Lord God has done. The power that was revealed through Israel of who God is was revealed. And in Joshua chapter 2 verse 9, this is a part of her statement of faith. This is her recognizing that God is powerful and that she wants to be with him and follow him. Remember, this is the salvation, the salvific story of Rahab. 
And so she is recognizing the power, but she's also recognizing that we are, we are terrified of this power. It says that all the inhabitants of the land had melted away in fear. This is the idea of fear before you. So Jericho is afraid. The Jericho is afraid. Now Rahab, she does something completely different, right? She, she goes, wait, I see this powerful God. I've seen the, the Lord revealed across the Jordan. I've seen what he does, and I don't want to oppose him. I don't want to refuse him. I want to be a part of him. And she actually becomes a part of Israel. It's a beautiful story of re-identity and all that. You can go back and watch the sermon on it if you want. But it also tells us something of a different pattern, the pattern of what Jericho does. Jericho does something differently. They tightly shut the gates. They tightly shut the gates. And so instead of Rahab entering and receiving, she receives the spies, right? She breaks, she, she breaks the, the code of Jericho and, and you know, not giving the spies away, brings in, receives them, recognizes who God is and is saved. Jericho closes the gates in fear, shuts God out, shuts the people out, out of fear of the Lord God. You see the contrasting reactions to fear here. One is reception, life, and salvation. The other one is closed off, hardness, and destruction. Patterns of fear. So there's two general patterns I want to talk about. The first one, we have catalyzing fear, I should say. So we have catalyzing fear and paralyzing fear. Catalyzing fear with Rahab and paralyzing fear with the city of Jericho. One psychologist said this, our emotions and behaviors are not directly determined by life events, but rather by the way the events are cognitively processed and evaluated. So you could have two people in a room see the exact same event. One could be deathly afraid and one could receive what happened. Two different reactions to the same event. And this is exactly what we're seeing. Here's Rahab sees the things that Lord God has done and recognizes her need to not oppose it and to be a part of it. Jericho sees the things the Lord has done, closes the gates off, and says, keep him out. We don't want anything to do with him. So catalyzing fear and paralyzing fear. Let's talk first about catalyzing fear. This is a healthy pattern as a follower of Christ is to have a catalyzing fear. Because a catalyst, what it does is it causes us to move suddenly and oftentimes with some kind of a force. So a catalyst is a, is a quick, sudden change or a quick, sudden reaction that moves us forward. And when, you're up, when you come up to something that you're afraid of, it tends to give us kind of an initial reaction. right? You don't even really think about it. It's just this initial reaction to whatever it is. Now, a catalytic fear is one where you see the fear coming especially as a follower of Christ, but what it does is it draws you and pushes you into the presence of God. It pushes you into receiving God. Remember Rahab, she had a catalyst fear. She recognized who God was, saw the same things Jericho saw, but what did it do? It pushed her into the arms of the Lord. It pushed her, recognized her. She recognized the Lord for who he was to save her and her family. Another word for for fear, especially catalyzing fear the Bible uses, is the word honor. You'll see it translated oftentimes. You'll see like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. You'll see it translated also as honoring the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And so there's this idea of fear and honor, which is a good thing in the Bible. 
connecting these two together. And, and honoring the Lord in the times of fear means that you are taking it to him in times of fear. You're not pulling away, drawing away with it. You're not building a wall. You're not closing the gates in times of fear. What you're doing is you're receiving him in the times of fear. You're bringing him into your fears. You know, as a kid, when I was scared about, you know, when I was younger, five or six years old, you know, I get scared at night, just as any kid does, and I would run into mom and dad's room, and I would try to jump into bed with them, and they'd say, hey, come on, let's get out of here. And they would take me back to bed, and my mom's solution was always to, hey, let's just sing Jesus Loves Me. You guys ever seen that song? Jesus Loves Me. Yeah. It was good. We got some head bobs going. Um, that's the most you'll ever hear me lead worship. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, Gary. Um, but, it, you know, it, it worked. It as a kid, I remember that working and thinking like, I got the stuck out the formula. That's it. And so I sing that song even to my kids today. When I put them to bed, we sing that song together. And so it's the, it's the matter of bringing the Lord in when you're scared. Even if it's just singing a song in bed at night when you're six years old. Catalyzing fear is recognizing your need for God in the midst of fear because the patterns that we develop really will dictate our relationship with God when it comes to catalyzing fear. Because how many of us in times of uncertainty, fear, or anxiety, the initial reaction is not to go to the Lord. The pattern has not been to go to the Lord. In fact, the pattern has been to kind of feel like God is away from me, to build a barrier or a wall from the Lord, saying, hey, you didn't, I didn't like the situation that I was just in, so it's your fault, God, so therefore I'm backing away. Therefore, I, I, I can't quite bring you into this. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with somebody and they say, you know, God just feels really far away. My relationship isn't very close to him. It's because then I'll ask them, what is it like when you're afraid? What is it like? What is your relationship like with God when it's not going well? When life isn't panning out the way you want it to be? Is he there only when it's good or is he with you in the times where you're scared? Are you bringing him in? Are you seeing this as a catalyst of faith rather than something that you need to avoid and, and close the gates to? And that's the pattern that becomes so dangerous in us is that we decide, hey, God, I, I'm, this is a really bad situation. I'm afraid. I'm going to close the gates. Close the gates. Lock things up. The wall between me and you rather than bring you into my fear. Because that leads into the paralyzing fear the destructive fear that we must resist. This is the type of fear that tights us, tightly shuts us up behind the walls of, away from God and away from community. Rather than opening us up toward him, like catalyzing fear, this freezes us where we got to hide or are too afraid to even move. We're paralyzed by fear. We, we, we don't even go to God with it. We're just scared and, and just isolated and alone. Paralyzing fear is exactly the type of fear that is explained in the third page of the Bible in Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve decide to, hey, we're going to do it our way, we're going to take from the forbidden fruit and the repercussions of all that have come from it, the first thing that happens is they are scared and they go and hide, right? And God's response to them is, is so significant. He says, where are you? Where are you? Obviously, he knows where they are. They're not playing hide-and-seek in Genesis 3, right? He's recognizing that there is a wall, a barrier, a locked gate between him and them. Why are you hiding your fear from me? Why are you hiding from me? Why are we not coming together 
in relationship? Why are you separate? Why are you isolated? Why are you alone? Why are you trying to do this yourself? Is all encapsulated in the idea of God, where are you? Or where God's saying, where are you? And this is a paralyzing fear. It's the evidence of that broken relationship we have with our creator. The fact that we're like, I don't really trust you with this. I don't like what just happened, so I'm not going to bring you into this. I'm going to do things my way. And we get paralyzed by it. It's like when you're in conflict with somebody in a relationship, and you do everything you can to avoid that person. You're like, I can't go to the grocery store because they might be there. I can't go to church because they might be there. Right? You do everything you can to avoid seeing that person is exactly what's encapsulated in paralyzing fear, except we do it with God. I think we live in a culture, honestly, especially in a, a kind of millennial and below culture, that we have kind of been, we've seen some tough stuff in church, we've been hurt by maybe some people in the church, and we kind of have a paralyzing fear and trauma in our culture that says, I don't even know if I want to go close to God anymore because of the things and the fear that we're afraid of. I think if I was sitting down and talked to maybe 20 college kids, that would be a common theme was, I'm afraid of what might happen if I put myself out there. I'm afraid of what God might do or what he might say to me or what might happen if I put myself out there. In contrast to Rahab, who saw the only way to life is joining in with the Lord, the people of Jericho have closed the doors out of fear, locked them up out of fear, not relying on seeing the power of God revealed and joining him like Rahab, but resisting it, avoiding it, trying to protect themselves from it. And this led to their destruction. Paralyzing fear is a destructive pattern because it shuts us up away from those things that bring us life. You know, when we close ourselves up, there's no reconciliation. There's, there's no restoration that occurs. We can't restore relationships with one another, for sure, if we're never in the same room with another person. We can't reconcile and bring healing to ourselves when we're too afraid to even incorporate God in our own fears, if we can't even give him the honor of, of being brought into our situations. You know, we stop communicating with God. I've seen prayer lives just completely crumble because they're too afraid. I mean, who knows? I mean, we know that the angriest people in this world are usually the scaredest people. Some of the most angriest people I ever met are just afraid. We don't think clearly. How many of you overthink when you're scared? You just over every every situation that could possibly happen, and it's always the worst one. That's what's going to happen in your mind, right? Building distrust and anxiety, that's how we live. We, we, we struggle trusting people. We struggle being gracious with people. We struggle being merciful with people. We struggle with our own anxieties because of what might happen because we're afraid it could happen. This type of fear, is what it does is like a Lego, like a building block on us. When we decide to react in a pattern of, dis, of paralytic fear, is it builds in us what the Bible calls a calloused and hard heart. Because we have decided that we're going to protect our heart from the things that will give us life. The things that the kingdom of God is all about. And we decide we are going to build our wall. We are going to lock our gate from the very thing that can save us. Liberate us, free us, heal us, bring us to reconciliation. All because of fear. In the paralytic pattern of fear, we tend to get hidden away. Where God asks us, where are you? 
Why are you hiding this from me? Why are you not bringing this to me? Why are we not talking about this? He obviously knows what's going on. That's kind of the family paradox of the whole thing is he knows and you're still like, I don't trust you with this. We don't know the exact sins of Jericho. We don't get the list of here's the 20 things that Jericho did wrong and this is why I destroyed it. God doesn't tell us this, but we are told that, he, that they have all seen the power of God displayed multiple times. We are told that the Lord camped an army of 100,000, over 100,000 warriors at the very gates of Jericho. We are told that they walked around the city seven times. You think God's like, wake up, Jericho. I'm here. And I'm powerful, and I'm here. And it's almost like he's sitting there waiting for them to open the gates. We don't know what sins they committed other than the fact that they sat and looked at the power revealed in God, who he was, and they said, no. Nope. We're not going to open these gates. The calloused and hard hearts of Jericho was paralytic fear. The only way to grow as a believer when it comes to fear is you have to honor him in the fear. This is the behavioral pattern that we all must master is in the times of fear, uncertainty, and anxiety that we choose to honor him in it, that we choose to bring him into the fear. You know, we can walk with each other with fear, because we're all going to be there. We're all going to have situations where we're like, I'm afraid, I'm uncertain. You may be in there right now. But a few key things that we can do as a people is we create a safe and non-judgmental environment because we're all dealing with it. If you don't feel safe enough to be able to even express your fear, we're all going to be paralytic. You have to be in a place in the community. And, I, and, and I've, honestly, I've only been here less than 60 days, and I know I have people in this body I can go to and go, I'm afraid. And not feel judged, not feel like I'm stupid, not feel like I'm a bad pastor because I can go to people and say, hey, I don't know what to do here. And it's okay. We need to have encourage, we need to encourage open communication with one another, talk about these things, but more importantly, pray together about these things. But when you're in the, the Walmart checking out line and someone expressing to you their fear, how many of us would say, all right, let's just pray real quick? Let's just stop right now. Let's pray for 30 seconds and just bring the Lord into this. Identify the source of fear. You got to know where it's coming from. What is it really that you're afraid of? Maybe some of it for us, it's just, I'm afraid of losing control. I'm afraid of what that would mean to not be in control of my life. Take it to scripture. Many of our fears, there's a response in scripture from the Lord already about that fear. And that's what's good today about being a part of a community because I don't have the Bible memorized. I don't know, but anybody else have the Bible memorized in here? It wasn't a part of my job description to memorize the Bible. But I tell you, there are people who are in the Bible every day who may have the word that you need that day. So being in community allows us to be with people who you might say, hey, I'm afraid of this. And they go, you know what? I was just reading about how God delivers and provides in that area. You know, oh, wow, that's amazing. But they don't get that without community, right? You don't get that about being around other people. That's one of the scary things with paralytic fear is it drives us away from community. We just can't even be around people. And then we offer support and encouragement. This is just blessing them. This is just supporting them. This could be as easy as sending a text message saying, hey, I'm just thinking about you. Just 
you're on my heart, you're on my mind. I do that, I do that quite often with people. I'll just be like, so all of a sudden I'm sitting there, all of a sudden someone's name just pops in my head. Throw them a text. You never know what that could do. To offer support and encouragement. Practical ways to, to walk people through fear. Very simple, easy, loving things to do. So we're going to pursue, the pattern we want to pursue is a fear that catalysts us closer to God. Not a paralytic fear that builds a wall and shut gates away from God, keeping him on the outside, but bringing him in. Let's continue on in that verse with verse three, or chapter of verse three. And you shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. A lot of sevens, right? Why did God say seven days? Well, there's a few different reasons. I'll give you one of them. Seven is the number of completion. It's, if you look at Hebrew, the word for seven and the word complete has the same consonant. So the Hebrews would often use the word for complete and the word of seven. That's one way to do it. So there is a completion happening with God saying, here's seven days, seven horns. There's a complete sign of completion going here. So what is God completing? Well, I think, for one, it's the long-suffering of Jericho. I think Jericho did have, it was a cesspool of sin. We don't know exactly what they were, but the fact that there was a young Rahab prostituting herself and probably was a, a young teenage girl was probably evidence of the fact that there was some real corruption and sickness going on in Jericho. But I think the biggest reason why he gave them seven days to complete was that God wanted to see Jericho repent. I think he was saying, I want you to open the gates. He, he knows exactly what Rahab told, told us. He knows exactly they know who he is. They know the power that was displayed. They know exactly they could just open the gates and say, we surrender to the Lord God of Israel. We see that later on in the chapters. We see that with Canaanites who will go, we're not messing with this. We're going to jump on board with Israel. And they even deceive Israel to doing it. They're like, we'll do anything we can to get on board this train. Jericho, I think, had the opportunity. In fact, God was like, I'm going to basically march my army seven times around your city so that you'll see it, giving you as much time as possible to come to me before my judgment comes on to you. He gave them a week where he camped hundreds of thousands of warriors around their city on their doorstep, and Jericho says, no, thank you. In the rules of, of ancient siege warfare, the, you know, it was a, a big task to destroy a city. It was a lot of resources wasted when you destroy a city. Most nations, they don't want to, ancient nations for sure, they don't want to destroy a city. They want to take the people, they want the resources, but in the city, they want the food in the city. They don't want to destroy it. And so the fact that God is sitting here going, I do not want to destroy this city, please open the gates. An ancient person would have said this and go, man, this God is, he's, he's acting exactly as someone in the ancient East would have coming up to a city, asking them to capitulate, asking them to come to him, asking them to open the gates to be received. I think if they would have done as Rahab had done, Jericho would have been a different story. Instead, they had a paralytic fear, locked the gates, hid behind the walls, and decided we're going to hide in our false sense of security 
thinking that that will stop this great God who has already revealed himself, who kept the people alive in the wilderness. All these things that he revealed, even to Jericho, and they said, no. Look what Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, writing of the same God. He says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. I think the Lord was very patient with Jericho. He knew of the sins. He knew the things that they were doing. And he's like, I'm going to give them all the way up to when my armies are on their very doorstep. And then then I'm going to give them a week to see my power displayed again before I have to wring judgment. I am so glad the Lord is patient towards us. He is long-suffering towards us. That his hand is constantly going out to us saying, come, come to me, bring me in. As he was to Jericho, he's saying, Jericho, bring me in. I am the life. I am the way to the healing and the power and, and the life that you desire. Yet they refused. They closed the doors and wouldn't let him in. It's like God is laying out his hand to Jericho saying, please let me in. Yet they refused. And Numbers 14, 18 also says, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, forgiving iniquity and rebellion. Those are words, sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations. You know, I think people get caught up in Jericho's destruction a lot, especially when I read my first week here, I read that story from Richard Dawkins, the atheist, who was talking about it's all about genocide and brutality and violence. But what we don't, what he misses, he completely misses the whole story of Joshua. But what he really doesn't notice here is that so often what happens is the cold, hard, afraid hearts of the older generations and the parents those sins and consequences that they reaped most often are felt by their children. That the sin and the consequences of the hard hearts and decisions to take, hey, I'm going to take God out of my life. I have seen it more often. It's the children that are affected by that than it is the parents. It's the generations afterwards that suffer the consequences of the generations before them because they were afraid to bring God into the city. And because of that, the young and old, the hard hearts of Jericho, the whole city is destroyed. The way God destroys Jericho is by their walls falling. It was Jericho's walls that gave them a false sense of security, a false sense of pride, a false sense of we don't really need that Lord God and in that fear of him, instead of relying on God's mercy, they built the wall to protect themselves. They locked the gates. And I think that's exactly why the Lord highlights the falling of the wall. He could have done, he could destroy Jericho a million different ways. Any way he wanted to, but instead he's like, I'm going to tear the walls down. Paralyzing fear puts up walls between God and people. In fact, it in the image of the walls of Jericho, we see one of the most important concepts of what sin really is, which is a relational breach and a relationship. Because we feel the need to protect ourselves when we're afraid, don't we? Hard hearts begin when we feel like we need to protect ourselves more than we need to rely on God's grace, his mercy, healing and reconciliation and restoration. 
Because some of us have been really hurt by people, disappointed. Man, I could tell you the stories I've, of the, the emotional pain that I've experienced just being a part of a church. It's brutal sometimes. I mean, there's times where I've wanted to just roll up my little pastoral calling and just throw it out the window because my life would be so much easier. You guys ever been like, God, I don't know if I signed up for this when I was eight years old. No one read me the fine print. They said, people are going to be mean. People are going to reject you. People are going to do things that you were like, I would never in my right mind think of that. And it's easy to, to build a wall to try to protect yourself. And I think I've done that in my past. I think at times where I had experienced some of the trauma and the fear of what it's like to be in a relationship with somebody, where like kind of, you kind of hold people back a little bit further after that. You kind of like, hey, you stay over there, new person, because I don't know if you're going to destroy me or not yet. And as a pastor, that can be a problem if you keep everybody over there. It's hard. You know, church leaders or even church organizations can hurt us. Victims of bad theology. I can't tell any people. I grew up in Utah. There's a lot of bad theology in Utah. A lot of victims of that. Unresolved conflicts or brokenness where we just build these walls up and we're like, hey, I don't even care about healing. I don't care about restoration between relationships. There's a wall because we're too afraid. Whatever it is, we feel like we often feel like we need to protect ourselves from everything, even sometimes things associated with the name of God, our fears and trauma. This type of relational breach is the epitome of what it means to sin. You know, a lot of times we think of sin, we think of like, oh, they broke the the Ten Commandments or the legal code. There's actually a word for sin that focuses on the pain and the brokenness of a relational breach. The word there in Hebrew is the word pesha. Pesha. It's often translated transgression or rebellion like it does in the Numbers passage I just read. But it doesn't mean a, a legal code breaking. It doesn't mean that Jericho broke the Torah. They, they weren't under the law, right? How could God be like, hey, how come you're not abiding by this if it wasn't for them, right? So clearly they weren't breaking the laws of the Bible, What Jericho was most guilty of and what many of us are most guilty of is not breaking the moral code. It's breaking the relationships between God and us. Breaking relationships between us and each other that cause division, cause breaking of families and relationships, all of that. Pesha is really the betrayal or breaking of trust due to choice or desire. The Greek equivalent of Pesha is exactly the word that Paul uses to describe Adam in Genesis 3. So when God is is seeing Adam breaking relationship, this word Pesha with God and hiding away and building a wall there, building the barrier, locking the gate between between him, this is the, the relational pain of Pesha. So when we experience relational pain, when we experience Pesha in our community with each other, or even in, in, when we have breaking of relationship with God, and we say, hey, you do your thing, God. I'm going to do my thing. I think my way is going to protect me better than you can ever protect me, which when you say it out loud, seems ridiculous, right? But that's exactly what we do. We are actually committing pesha. This is the very root and the beginning of what sin is, is the relational toll and hurt and brokenness that happens there. It's the breach in a relationship. The destructive power that's encapsulated within Pesha is how the brokenness and breaches of sin build walls between us because we're too afraid 
to ever enter into something like that again. It paralyzes us. It brings us away. So instead of us looking at Jericho and being like, oh, stupid Jericho, bah, you know, we should really be like, oh, I build walls all the time between me and God. I build walls between myself and people all the time because of the fear that I have. What would you do if a couple hundred thousand warriors camped around your backyard? Right? Got a little bit of mercy on old Jericho now, don't we? Because of this sin, this relational breach, this Pesha, we build high walls trying to protect ourselves. We cover our heart calloused and hard and say, don't ever come near this thing again. Think of Adam and Eve in the garden hiding away. Some of us isolate and, and we hide away from anything associated with God. I know people my age, I grew up grew up with a church who just say, hey, I had a really bad experience. See you later, God. Some of us renounce our faith through that. We just go, hey, you know what? I don't even believe anymore. I think we live in a traumatized culture of that. Some silently quit. You just, they just kind of disappear because of the things that they have witnessed, experienced, and seen. The sin of Jericho wasn't in the breaking of a, of a moral law. They weren't the Israelites, after all. It was in their relational breach of a, of a loving, forgiving, merciful creator God saying, I want to bring you in. Look at the power that I revealed to you. And them saying, no, thank you. I don't want it. And you think about that in the context of Jesus, where you think of God, hey, here's my one and only son, the perfect example of who I am here on earth. And we're like, let's kill him. And then after we kill him, they say, hey, I'm going to resurrect him and so, you can, so I can prove to you that I give life, an eternal life. And then we live in a, in a society of people that go, that's not good enough. That's not a big enough power revealed, someone coming back to life from death. That's the type of societies we live in. And even what we wrestle with is we have to, God has displayed a magnificent power in Jesus at the cross and the resurrection. And so many of us go, it's not good enough. No, thank you. I don't need it. And so as Christians, we are called to be people like Rahab who go, I don't, I don't know what that next step looks like, but I have seen the power of God revealed in Jesus. and I'm just sticking with them, baby. I'm walking here with them. I, I mean, you got to imagine Rahab being like, I sure hope they remember that promise when they circle that city and those walls start crumbling, right? That's where we're at many times is we're sitting in a place where, where walls are going to start to crumble and we have to hold on to something. And the only thing we have is the power revealed in Jesus at the cross and resurrection. The greatest power revealed. How many of us do we know who are refusing to come to the Lord because of past relational breaches? And we've also built some kind of high wall to hide behind. I'm telling you, the pattern there is always a hard heart. When we decide to build walls, when we lock, when we lock gates, when we decide, hey, I don't wanna, I'm going to keep people at distance, I'm going to keep God at a distance, the result's the same. Slowly, as slow as it is to build a Lego from one brick to what it becomes a thousand pieces later, the result is the same as a hard and calloused heart between God and people. And this brings me to the end here, the day of the Lord. Because what God does and what his display is at Jericho is he tears down the walls. 
The day of the Lord is a, a common phrase that you'll read throughout the Old and New Testament. You'll hear it say, day of the Lord, or even just the day. In Hebrew, in Hebrews, or the book of Hebrews, in the persecuted church, when people are dying and things are they're having a real hard time, they're like, I don't know, do we even meet anymore? The encouragement there is, hey, the day is coming. Hold tight to the day. And this is the day of the Lord that's being referenced here. And this is a day when the Lord will enact judgment, but will also see the slaved freed, the oppressed freed. We see a, a day at Sodom and Gomorrah. We see a day at Pharaoh. With Pharaoh, that's the Passover day. That's the, a great day of celebration for Israel is the day of the Lord. Jericho had its day. But before the day, there was a loving and gracious God saying, come to me, open the doors, come to me, I'm here for you, see the power I've displayed, see who I am, I've parked on your walls, open the door. And Jericho decides no. Jericho was destroyed, and it was violent and brutal, just like sin is violent and brutal. Sin has, does not care about your feelings. It is not politically correct. But it will destroy, it will be violent, will be chaotic. It will be everything that God did not create this world to be. An important piece of this story is that God reached out a merciful hand to Jericho. He demonstrated his power to them multiple times, yet they refused out of fear, hard hearts, which leads to their destruction. A common theme to the whole Bible is fear, hard hearts, destruction. And we stand waiting for the day of the Lord again as people who every day have to make decisions on how we react to fear. Now, preparing, our preparation for the day of the Lord is in how we behave our patterns around fear. Are we going to be a people who step out with catalytic fear when it approaches? Is that your natural reaction to fear is to go, okay, how do I bring this to the Lord? Or is your natural reaction is, hey, God, you stay over there. I'm afraid and I'm just going to do whatever I think is right in this moment. Because one, you're going to be built up either way. And the day of the Lord is coming, right? How do you want to meet him? Catalytic fear or paralytic fear? His power has been released and revealed for us to see witness to. And you think about it, if, if God can come in the flesh Die on a cross with our, with his, with our, with our, with us in his mind, and then resurrect on the third day. What can he not do in your life? What a situation or circumstance is going to be too big for him in your life when he could do that? We must choose to build patterns that grow us towards him in our fear rather than building walls and shutting gates to him in our fear. Establish a catalyzing reaction to fear. Prepare your hearts and minds, because the day of the Lord is coming. And for some it will be violent, and it will be brutal to those who don't know him, just like it was in Jericho. Because sin will always be punished But for those who put their trust in the Lord, for those who see like Rahab and go, wow, that is who I want to be a part of. That is who I want to follow. It's a day of freedom. It's a day of oppressive systems are destroyed. It's a day when we get to finally be free of the sins of the world. 
Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.